these funny stories and history that we have on how we went from nothing. Why do we come over here? What were we fighting? Why did we start America? What happened to America? Is it getting worse? Is it getting better? Who's pitching the story that it's getting worse? Do we not have 90% of values and principles that we share in common? Who all of a sudden try to pin us against each other? Why are they doing it? What is the job of an enemy? You think the enemy wants America to stay united or divided? The enemy wants America to be the divided states of America, not the United States. Patrick Bet David is an Iranian-American serial entrepreneur and founder and CEO of Valuetainment. Patrick is of Armenian and Assyrian descent and as a child escaped Iran with his family. Patrick's family ended up living in a refugee camp in Erlingen, Germany for about two years. Eventually, they settled in Glendale, California in 1990. After high school, Patrick joined the U.S. military and served in the 101st Airborne Division. Once out of the military, Patrick developed salesmanship skills selling health club memberships as a manager at Bally Total Fitness. He joined Morgan Stanley Dean Witter the day before 9-11 and left a year later to become a financial advisor at Transamerica. Before the age of 30, Patrick had already begun building his business empire. He founded PHP Agency in October 2009, a financial services marketing company which has grown to more than 27,000 agents in 49 states. Bet David's YouTube channel is both motivational and educational. It features interviews with a wide variety of guests, ranging from politicians like Rod Blagojevich and Anthony Weiner to athletes like Shaq, Magic Johnson, and Kobe Bryant. Patrick is the embodiment of the American dream with a firsthand understanding of what it takes to go from rags to riches. Whether it's authors, mobsters, or movie stars, Patrick's passion and unapologetic approach to controversial conversations has attracted an audience of millions across the globe. His weekly PBD podcast is a top business podcast in the country. His new book, Choose Your Enemies Wisely, Business Planning for the Audacious Few, will be coming out this December. In this episode, we discuss his viral interview with Andrew Tate, the wonders of capitalism, how to conduct a fascinating interview, and what it takes to become a part owner of the New York Yankees. Patrick, thanks so much for stopping by. It's great yes, to see you. Thanks for having me. It's good. It's, it's been good a while. To be here. We were yes. in different locations last time we, we saw one another. It was off of Ventura in LA like five or six years ago. Yeah, that's right. And things have grown for both of us since then. No so question. How's Florida treating you? I'm in love. I mean, I'm in love. You know, for me, Florida is, we lived in LA 20 some years. We lived in Dallas five years. If Texas and California had a baby, it would be Florida. So we're in love. We love this place. That's awesome. And so you've been busy of late. So obviously your interview with Andrew Tate made extraordinary kind of international news. So why don't we start with that? Well, how did you decide that you wanted to interview Andrew in the first place? So the first one was uh, him and I were having a conversation. We've been communicating for over three or four years, even when he was a little bit smaller. And then uh, uh, I noticed, you know, they were targeting him. Hey, he's doing this. He's doing that. I said, listen, why don't we do an interview together? And then we flew out and we found a local uh, in a halfway Madrid, you know, we didn't go to Romania. We met in Madrid. We found a cigar lounge. We went all the way to the top. We shut the place down and we talked to him for five and a half hours. And by the time you're done, you're like, I like this guy off camera. You'll like him. Now, obviously his personal life, some of the decisions he makes, maybe you wouldn't make, or some other person wouldn't make. Uh, but a lot of the values and what he's presenting, you can't argue. Young men are looking for that, especially nowadays. There's a lot of boys that are uh, looking for an older brother or a father figure, and his messaging keeps resonating with them. That was the first one that we did. And then the second one that we did during uh, uh, Romania, when he got out, uh, his lawyer and I accidentally, we found out we went to high school together, four years apart, okay? And uh, I had her on, and then his PR people and I were in communication while they were in, and then they said, uh, Andrew, would like to talk to you first when he gets out. I said, great. 
Uh, he got out. We communicated. Boom. Let's do it Romania. We're coming to you. We took a crew, went to Romania, did the interview. And it was right after BBC did the nice little fancy interview with them trying to get him. And uh, uh, it was so funny. He says, when the BBC folks came here, I told everybody, put your mask on. Are you vaccinated? How come you don't have your mask on? I don't feel safe with you. Put your mask on. Don't get too close to me. He was playing a card on them. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, Andrew Tate is the kind of guy that um, the mainstream media loves to hate. It's a great target for them. Uh, it's an easy target for them. And he knows how to troll them, how to get under their skin. And uh, anytime you get a guy like that, he's going to get a lot of eyeballs. So when, when you interview somebody like Andrew Tate, what kind of prep goes into that? Because obviously we've had people at Daily Wire who've interviewed him. As well, and, and the big controversies that surround him, there's sort of two sets. There's one that's about his views, which are interesting and certainly heterodox. Yep. What I've said about his views from his public expression of them is that I agree with many of his diagnoses and very few of his prescriptions. So many of his diagnoses of secular feminism and third wave feminism and, and the destruction of society, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of those are true. And then mm-hmm. I think sort of the way that he, he treats the, the questions, the answers are, are very often wrong, meaning that my answer to that would be get married, have kids, build a, build a family unit. That's how you build a society. It's not through sort of, you know, how many women can I attract or how much money can I make? And that, that shouldn't be your gauge of success, in other words. So there, there are the, the controversy about his views, which people can argue over. And then there's obviously the, the, the bigger controversy over his actual activities. Uh, what do you make of, of some of the compilation videos that have come out of him talking about, for example, his, his you know, lover boy method or, or some of the things that he was using to so get girls involved. In. What is the lover boy method? Let's unpack the lover boy method. It's what? It's using persuasive lines to get a girl to fall in love with you. Is that the lover boy method? If that's the lover boy method, 90% of men who are 18 years old, 20 years old, who have no clue how to get a girl would love to learn that language. It's not an easy language to pick up. It's not for everybody. For example, a lot of people watch you. How many people can be a Ben Shapiro? How many viral videos do you have? How many videos have gone? Ben Shapiro destroys, just add whatever the word is next, 10 million views, 15. That's all you got to put and just let it rip and you'll go, right? How many people can be, can be like Ben? Why do people watch you? Why are people so enamored by you? Because they wish they can kind of be like a Ben. They wish they can kind of talk like a Ben. They wish they can kind of, you know, the guy putting his hand on your shoulder, you put him in his place and, you know, you would pierce, you know, years ago. I don't know what that was, 10, 11 years ago. Boom, you put, you know, hit him in his place. They, you, know, you went with uh, so many different examples. So take a Ben. I know this is a different example, weird example to give you. You and Andrew Tate are actually very similar, okay? The only difference <laughs> is, you know, your wordsmith is with values and principles, conservative belief, and you were raised in an environment where a mom and a dad, you know, were, or your, I think your dad was a composer, your mom, you know, these are people that are executive, you know, in Hollywood or production company she's working at. You had a little bit more stability. He did not have stability. Both of you know how to communicate. Both of you know how to sell your message. Both of you are witty. Both of you know how to challenge the status quo. Both of you know how to push the envelope. Both of you know how to get under someone's skin. Both of you know how to push back on authority because they're telling you what you're doing. You better do it this way or else. Both of you are somewhat anti-establishment. So I don't think there's a difference between the two of you. The only difference is your upbringing, mom and dad, environment. Uh, As a man, when you're younger, you know, and you have a woman that publicly humiliates you or breaks your heart or leaves you for another man or, you know, does something to you that's embarrassing, men react to that in a different way. Some men react to that and they're just kind of like, I'm going to turn it on the girls and for every girl I ever date, I'm going to treat them and get back to them. Really, you're not really get back to her. She didn't do anything to you getting back to your ex because she hurt you, right? Some guys are like, well, 
maybe I'm not good enough and I'm never going to get a girl and I'm just not going to date and I'm just going to stay single. Another one's going to settle. Everyone reacts in a different way. His react, I've asked him this question many times. I said, so who broke your heart? And he'll kind of go through it, won't give a lot of details about it. But, you know, if somebody broke uh, uh, his heart, I, I'm assuming the way he took it is, I'm going to get back to you for the rest of your life, and I'm going to show you how big I'm going to be, how successful I'm going to be, and all these exes who hurt me for the rest of their lives are going to go through this. That's what I think he did. Uh, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. Lifestyle-wise, the way he makes money, I think there's a lot of different ways to make money. Uh, uh, you know, Some you agree with, some you don't agree with. In his environment where he is, uh, that is a normal, that is not an abnormal way of making money. It's not the traditional way of making money, but there's many camera, you know, girls that you do that with and you make, there's a lot of guys that do that in that country. That's, there's a reason why he's in Romania. And then the last thing I would add to you is the first time I interviewed with him, when the interview was done, I uh, uh, walked away and when we, back, we went back to the hotel, I met him and I met Tristan. I went back to the hotel and I said, I think, and I, I think I even asked him on the first question, I said, I, said, I, think, I think someone in the Muslim faith is influencing you. Because the language he's talking about, he's talking about the language that I remember living in Iran, where that was the language, where it's men here, women here, you better or else. And it's not maybe you better or else. My job is to protect you. Your job is to have kids. And that's it. That's the relationship we have. Um, and, And that's where I felt the influence was taking place, where he went from being the guy that was the fighter, then a lot of women. Then he's trying to see what he's going to be doing. Then he found a way to make his money. Then he's getting all this fame with the camera. He's got, he's got a way of speaking. And then he's like, okay, there's a lot of chaos going on in my life. I better settle down. I no longer want to play like I did at 25 or 30. I got to get my act together. I want to have this. I want to have that. And he kind of tried to figure out a way to settle down by converting to Islam and Muslim. Uh, but, but I felt like someone was in his ear from that faith. So I, I don't want to make this interview about Andrew yeah. Tate because obviously I can ask Andrew sure. Tate the, yeah. those questions. But the, the the real question is, how do you prep for the kinds of interviews that you do? Oh, so, I mean, that's, absolutely. That, that's, yeah. that's, you, you've interviewed such a wide range of people. Right. From Kobe Bryant to Andrew Tate is a right. pretty big gamut. So how do you prep for those sorts of interviews? And how do you decide where to push back, where not to push back, and all that sort of stuff? So, so the way I do an interview is I uh, um, depend on what it is. Let's just say if somebody that's a topic-driven interview, I'm bringing somebody that we're specifically going to talk about an issue I'm only studying that issue and a little bit of the person's bio, their expertise, because I know who that person is. So it's more issue-driven. It's less personality-driven. That's a different style of an interview than if I'm interviewing you, I'm interviewing you based on you. You're the product. The, the topic's not the product. You're the product, right? So if I'm studying the, to- uh, the topic, I want to know your background. I want to know motives. I want to know tipping point decisions. I want to know what affected you. I want to know what decisions you made, why you made it. I want to know uh, different angles. It's just I got a series of 20 questions. I'll rank the 20 questions that I got. And my questions will rank from the most important top three questions I want to ask you. And then everything sequences down, right? Then you have to kind of put a maze. I'm going to go here first. Then I'm going to go here, then here, then here. Then I'm going to go here. And then eventually I'm going to go here because this was a question I always wanted to ask. Uh, but you're not going to ask this question first. You ask that question like question number seven. Like when I had Anthony Weiner on, the question I wanted to ask him was maybe question number 11. But it was my number one question. But because he started off so abrasive, number 11 became number three. No problem. If you want to have that, we can do that as well. But you made number 11 three. Preferably, I would like to keep 11, 11. So sometimes in the middle of the interview, you may uh, pivot based on what direction the interview is going with the individual. 
and then you go from there. But it's different if I'm doing topic versus personality. So, you know, obviously everybody comes to this particular job that, that we do with a, with a set of values. How do, what are your core values that you're bringing into the interviews that, that I think are the prism through which you, you view you know, the, the person who you're interviewing? Where do those values come from? So I, I've lived a very weird life. So for me, I'm less judgmental on the individual uh, because I, I understand not everybody lives the same life. I lived in Iran 10 years and my parents got divorced twice. My mom and dad were married. My sister's born. Then they get a divorce. Then they get remarried to each other. Then I'm born. Then they get divorced. So that's my mom and dad. My mom's family, majority of them, they were all part of the two-day party in Iran, communist. And they were all about Karl Marx. A lot of these guys were people that maybe escaped uh, Russia and they came down, you know, to whether they escaped Russia or Leningrad or Baku or any of that. And they came down to Tehran, Iran or Bandar Pahlavi back in the days, Rasht was a city that's north Iran, that's close to Caspian Sea, the best caviar in the world. And so they became communists. They've been communists because they kind of liked the way Russia's system was. All these rich people, they're greedy. All they care about is money. We're about community. Let's come together. We don't have to work that hard. Let's spend more time together. And my dad's side, there is Syrians, original Assyrians. So I speak Aramaic, so I'm mm-hmm. Syrian, but David, all of that. So um, they're more imperialist. He was more about the Shah. He was more about the king. He was more about, you know, poor people, are, are lazy. My mom was rich, people are greedy. So they're debating each other constantly, right? And then I had some interesting characters in my family. Some made money in an interesting way, you know, bootlegging, whatever, in Iran at that time. And one was a physicist who was a math guy who would have a pipe and Einstein thing behind him, painting behind him, and he had shotguns. And every time we'd come to his house, he's always reading these physics books, right? Everything about him was about math. So that had an influence. Then war takes place in Iran. We're living in the capital. We're being bombed on one time 160-something uh, times in a day, and I'm going to an Armenian school, Gulbengian, and you're hearing the whistling sound. So then we escape Germany. We escape Iran, we go to Germany. Uh, six weeks after Khomeini dies in 89, I think it's like July 15th, we go to Germany, 89. And I live at a refugee camp in Germany, in Erlangen for a year and a half, then we come to the States here. And when I come to the States here, I'm like, hey, I cannot believe this is how this life is, how great America is. And then I go to high school, then I joined the army, and I grew up watching Mob, and I wanted to be a bodybuilder, and we always watched, you know, Godfather or Carlito's Way or, you know, Scarface and sports, and we're talking about sports earlier with your interest in wanting to be a uh, sports owner in the future. Very interesting. I'm looking forward to celebrating that with you, which was an interesting conversation to have. But uh, so, so anyways, the people around me were always weird and different. So I was able to befriend the 4.5 GPA kid, and... The, the captain of the football team and the teacher who gave me an F and a teacher who was a math teacher, we would have conversations and the head coach and the counselor and the army recruiter and the cops, it didn't matter. I had relationships with all these guys. And because there was no judgment, we can sit down and have conversations together. So my approach to the way we're doing interviews is people feel safer sitting down with us. Well, maybe they wouldn't feel safer in a different place. Like one week I'll have Jenk. And people are upset at me because I had Jenk. Next week, I have Alex Jones. You know, one week, I'll have Charlie Kirk. Oh, my God, I can't believe we'll have Charlie Kirk. Next week, I got Chris Como. We're okay doing that. That's very norm for us to have the conversation. And people know where I stand. I'm a capitalist. Uh, I love America. This is the greatest country in the world. I'm a military guy, so you know where I stand with guns. You know, when it comes down to taxes, I have very strong opinion on taxes, very strong opinions on family, values, principles. You know, our incentive program right now on how it's, you know, encouraging people to have kids, single mother, all this stuff. I have very strong philosophies in. But in regards to the media, how we're building the media, 
the main basis is capitalism. And anything can be built on the main, you know, core values and principles that we have is capitalism. We believe you can go out there and build as big of a business or small of a business and make as much or as little money as you want to make. Or you can be a supporter in the role of building Daily Wire. You can be a consultant. You can be an outsider. You can be a, you know, independent contractor. You can be an employee. You can be an executive. You can get, get a piece of the company eventually when it goes public or it sells. You get a check. There's so many ways within a capitalistic society to win. That's our core foundation, and obviously a bunch of different things comes with it. So one of the big issues you've been talking about, because you talk so much about capitalism in business, is the infiltration of ESG into business. And this is something that I think took a lot of conservatives by surprise over the course of the last 10 years. There's this belief system, at least when I was growing up, that there are certain institutions in the society that lean left. The universities lean left, the media lean left, Hollywood lean left, obviously. When it came to corporate America, the idea was you were going to go into business, and then you were going to deal with the real world, where you had to pay taxes and you had to make payroll, and this was going to make you conservative. And now, for a lot of conservatives, it feels like that's not what corporate America is. Corporate America has basically engaged in corporatism, where they're working hand-in-glove with members of the government in order to get special advantages. And then the other half of that deal is they have to promote left-wing viewpoints on everything from environmental to social. Uh, so how deep do you think the infiltration of ESG has been, and how dangerous is it? Oh, it's extremely deep. But, but, but the, question, the, the, the answer is they're not going to win. They're not going to win long-term because people are starting to get exposed to it, and they're learning more about it. And even they're saying, hey, let me back off a little bit. You know, Larry thinks that ESG is being, you know, a little bit, it's being bullied a little bit and people are not liking it. It's getting a black eye. And Elon Musk, on the other end, said the S stands for satanic or even, you know, uh, 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 Charlie Munger says, look, I love Larry Fink. I think he's a great guy, but I don't want Larry Fink as an emperor. I want him as a friend. I don't want him as an emperor. And Larry Fink kind of, you know, BlackRock, what they're trying to build. So here's the part where I have a problem with it is this guy, Larry, goes and majors in political science. It was not a money guy. He wanted to get into politics. That's his major. But then he learns how to make money because he's a numbers guy as well. Then he makes money. He loses his first million, first hundred million. I think he's 36 years old. Then he comes back, learns a special skill. I think he teams up with Schwartzman. Eventually, they make money. At one point, they split because Schwartzman wanted to keep the whole company to themselves. You know, Fink wanted to give equity. We'll go our separate ways. And then Fink obviously turns BlackRock into a $10 trillion of assets under management. Uh, To put that in perspective, you know, only U.S. and China have a bigger GDP. $10 is a lot of money. Now, $10 is not their money. It's money they're managing. So it's institutional money. A million dollars from here, $18 million from here, $48 million from here, $32 million from here. It's institutional, but they make the decision on what they do with your money. So then they choose, and you look across the board, the amount of reach that they have, whether it goes to, you know, military. So you're talking about Raytheon, uh, Boeing, General Dynamics, you know, all these guys where they are the top three to four shareholders in those companies through their ETFs or through their institutional money. And in Hollywood, you go into so many different businesses. You look at 88%, I think it's 88% of S&P 500 companies, they're the top three shareholders in those companies. Imagine that kind of influence and control. So now if you're doing that, what influence do you have? Hey, we better not put that guy there because we're not going to get more money from them. We better not do this. And then you add George Soros, who Open Society Foundation, he starts, and he's worth $7 billion, which I think he's given us $7 billion to his son, 38, 39-year-old son. And George Soros, over the years, last 30 years, he's given Open Society Foundation $32 billion is what he's given to them. Then they came, aw- came up with a way to do this DEI score, you know, diversity, equity, inclusive, which, by the way, when we were selling our insurance company, we built an insurance company with 45,000 agents. We sold it a year ago to Silver Lake and Integrated Marketing, very happy with the 
partnership that we have with them. But a couple of the meetings that we had, Ben, was interesting because our insurance company, when we started it, at the time, the average insurance agent was a 56-year-old white male. Okay, our company is, the average agent is a 34-year-old Hispanic female. It's a high-volume recruiting company, and we targeted women, Hispanics, and younger audience through social media. We go in a meeting in Fort Worth, big family office, $21 billion. And they're sitting there saying, look, we are very interested in the company. We'd like to buy the company. I said, what's your main reason for wanting to buy the company? And he starts talking. Well, listen, of course, you guys have built a good business. The EBITDA is good. The profit margins are good, et cetera, et cetera. And it doesn't help that you guys have a very high DI score because we don't. We're 99% white. And if we get a company like yours in a marketplace, look at the way they're making the decision, not the decision of this is a good EBITDA. We can grow this. We can you know, buy it for 13 times EBITDA, but we can sell it for 20 times EBITDA if we put it in the portfolio. So this is the part where DEI score, CEI score, corporate equity index, where a Philip Morris gets a higher rating on their ESG score than a Tesla with what Elon is doing. Now people are waking up and saying, this doesn't make sense. And in Hollywood now, where they're, they're forgetting the fact that originally the reason why people went to Hollywood is because Hollywood was originally New Jersey under Thomas Edison. Most movies in America were being produced in Jersey through Thomas Edison, but Thomas Edison regulated the industry of motion pictures so much that the guy said, we're leaving Jersey. And they all went to Burbank and they made Burbank and Glendale, Burbank and Hollywood, the hub to make movies. Great. You got away from the mess. You went over there. Now, the same thing is repeating itself. We're in Hollywood. If you want to be nominated for an Oscar, I'm sure you saw this, a third of your actors have to be part of the, you know, underrepresented community, whether it's black, whether it's Hispanic, whether it's disability, whether it's LGBTQ, whether it's American Indian with Native American, all this stuff. And even the editors, the cutters, all this stuff. So that means the last however many Oscar winning movies, none of them would win today. This just doesn't make any sense today what they're doing. So the more this hypocrisy keeps becoming public, the average person sits there and says, yeah, I don't buy this. This doesn't make any sense. So now McDonald's removes ESG off their website. Now all these companies are removing and even BlackRock is no longer using the word uh, ESG. And S&P 500 said, we're no longer looking at the ESG scores. Not something we're looking at two, three weeks ago, they announced this. So common sense eventually prevails. We'll get to more on that in just one second. First, I want to talk to you about DailyWire's most trusted privacy partner and the premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. Did you notice that big tech companies today are masquerading as privacy companies? Just fix your privacy settings, turn off app tracking. You're all good, right? Are we supposed to believe that the big bad tech wolf has now turned into sweet grandma? Well, big tech literally feeds on your information. This is how they make their money. Sure, maybe they'll release a feature now and then that does some good, but collecting and selling off your data, well, that's what big tech does. It's literally what they do to make their money. To protect myself against big tech's prying eyes, I use ExpressVPN. When you use the ExpressVPN app on your computer or phone, you're hiding your unique IP address. Websites can't use that address to find out your real location or track what you do online. On top of that, ExpressVPN encrypts and reroutes 100% of your online activity so your internet provider, Wi-Fi admin, and hackers can't see it. The best part? How easy it is to use. It takes one click to protect all your devices. One ExpressVPN subscription covers up to five devices at the same time, so you can protect your entire family as well. That's why ExpressVPN is rated number one by CNET, Wired, TechRadar, and countless others. Today is the day. Get the VPN I trust to protect my online privacy. Head on over to expressvpn.com slash Ben. Get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Ben. So how much do you think that was all sort of the privilege of easy money? Meaning that for 20 years, you could basically borrow at no margin. I mean, you're borrowing at 2%, 3%. 
the, the Fed rate didn't exist. I mean, up until the last year, you were able to basically just take money for free. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that allows you to play all these sorts of stupid games. In a time when interest rates have tightened a fair bit, people can be a lot more caref- careful with their money. Instead of looking just at you know ESG or, or, or DEI scores, they're actually going to be looking at things like EBITDA. And you would hope that that'll have some impact. I'm on the board of a, of a NASDAQ-traded company. And one of the things that we have to certify is that a certain number of our board members are females or minorities or gay or whatever it is. But at a certain point, people are also going to realize, even at the NASDAQ, that you know, you're losing a lot of companies that otherwise would be doing great on your index fund that you know, can't make that cutoff. And when the money is hard to come by, it's a lot, it's a lot harder to start pushing these sort of empty principles to show your cocktail buddy friends that, that, you're, that you're a really nice guy who believes all the right things. Yeah, again, it's not going to work. Bad policies have consequences. So California sitting there saying, well, let me t- here's what we're going to do in California. We're going to be doing this. We're going to be forcing everybody to take the vaccine. We're going to put masks on. We're going to be responsible. We're going to be shutting down restaurants. And DeSantis on this side is like, no, you're open. You know, Disney World, you're open. So Disney World does well. Disneyland does bad. Bob Iger says, I'm getting off the board of helping Newsom. He was originally trying to help him. Then after Newsom made the announcement with all these parks being closed, he's like, I'm off your board. So Bob Iger's in the middle. Whether he's a Democrat, he's a registered Democrat, and he defends the Democratic values, he's a smart guy to sit there and say the conservative values during COVID were better for business than the liberal values for COVID. And what happened in California, first time since 1851, they lose all these folks and they leave California to different states. I think the number one beneficiary was Texas, and then it was Nevada or whatever these states are. I think number five or six was Florida because they're coming all the way over here. A lot of the New York and Jersey guys came here. But- COVID was the best case study, if you think about it. COVID showed us what policies don't work. COVID showed us right now, Florida, they're targeting Governor DeSantis, and they're saying all these teachers uh, don't feel safe teaching in the state of Florida. These anti-woke policies make me very uncomfortable. Well, guess what? Go to California. Newsom welcomes you. Go for it. So the parents that are in California right now are saying, no, 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 we don't want more of these people to come. So the parents in California either have to protest they have to stand up. They have to do a nationwide, statewide protest, which is take your kids out of school for one straight month and create different Zooms of parents who are teachers and do some kind of homeschooling. And if you can do that in the state of California for a month straight, and then you can go to Sacramento protesting outside and do a big podcast and get all the eyeballs to Newsom, we're not leaving until you come and talk to us. And that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Hey, what policies are you making changes to for the state of California or else one month? They're going to feel the pain. So it's getting to that point where these policies are being exposed. But going back to the question you're asking about easy money, what happened with this whole 128-month economic expansion? Zero percent interest rates, zero, one percent, half a percent, fake money, print, print, print. Yeah, go finance, buy this house for nothing, buy that house for nothing, buy this, buy that, and let's keep investing, let's keep investing, let's keep making money. It's fake money. It's not real money. The debt keeps increasing. This is not real money. And then the moment rates go up, Right now, the refinance market is at a 27-year low. 27-year low in refi. What kind of money are mortgage brokers making right now at a 7.2% 30-year fixed interest rate? They're not, right? Although it's a good time to buy, you know, it's not a good time to refi, but it's a good time to buy property. Only if you're all cash. Only if you're all cash. And if you can find some of the desperate situations, because still people have some savings left. Yeah, and the prices haven't dropped nearly they have as much not as dropped. No, they have it's not. A sticky market. But they're going to, though. Because once people run out of savings, once they run out of savings, then you have to make a desperate sale. Right. And when you make that desperate sale, it's going to be a different economy. So, again, going back to it, 
you have to give them props. Like a guy asked me a question yesterday. He says, Pat, do you think they're going to do COVID shutdown 2.0 for the election for 2024? I said, if they can get away with it, of course they're going to do it. What are you saying? I said, give props to your enemy for having better strategies than you. Give props to the enemy for doing things that you're not willing to do. I said, it's almost at a point right now where, you ever seen the movie American Gangster? Mm-hmm. The story about Frank Lucas? Yeah. You know the scene where he's having breakfast with his brothers and his cousins, and he noticed a guy that hasn't paid him the 10 points, and he goes out, say, hey, where's my money? He hasn't given I'm not going to give you the 10%, then takes a gun, shoots him, comes back down, takes a, wipes his hands, puts a dollar on the ground, opens the door, sits down, and starts having breakfast with his cousins, and as if nothing happened. It's as if they're doing that, and they're saying, what are you going to do about it? Do something about it. What are you going to do? You ain't going to do nothing about it, right? But what happened to Frank Lucas? He eventually got caught. You're not going to be able to do this forever. No bully gets away with it permanently. What a bully does that most people don't realize, you wake up the wrong kind of people. Here's what the wrong kind of people are. There are different kind of people. There are those that fight no matter what the season is. They're always going to fight. No, you can't do that. You can't do this. No way. This is not fair. This that's the, that crowd, right? They're always doing that. But it's a small minority. It's not a big community. Then there's those that wake up because those guys inspired them to want to fight. So you inspire millions to want to fight, and they join your fight, right? Then there's those that are sitting there not doing anything. But then once the bully starts bullying the people that can no longer fight for themselves, then those guys wake up. You do not want to wake up those guys. They're waking up those guys. Those guys don't play around. Those guys are going to wake up, and they're finding each other. More and more people are coming, coming together. Like we just had a conference uh, last week with Tom Brady. We had it at the Vault Conference at the Diplomat. 3,000 people from 60-plus countries showed up from different industries. And, and we went through a 200-page manual on how to run a business, scale, raise money, all this stuff. It's purely an entrepreneurship audience that we have. But then you would be amazed how many of them are wanting to talk policies, Small business owners, here's what's going on in my state. Here's what's going on in my country. More people are looking at this message and saying, this is what I need more of right now because they're controlling me in X, Y, Z or such and such place. And you wake up those types of people and they find each other. We, the people, have a great track record. They win. But unfortunately, before they win, a lot of people get destroyed before they end up rising up and winning. So you seem a lot more optimistic than a lot of the people that, that I talk to. You know, obviously, we look at our politics, and it seems like things are pretty broken. I mean, the next election cycle sure. looks like right now, if you had to put money on it, it looks like Trump versus Biden, which means a recast of, of 2020. Mm-hmm. You have a president who does not appear to be mentally there uh, and who is, you know, pretty clearly in bed with his son and their corruption problems. And then, then you have uh, another presidential candidate who is deeply unpopular by every polling statistic with, with the American people and who has a bunch of legal issues hanging over his head going into the election. And it seems like a, a lot of Americans are both simultaneously enervated by this. They're, they're just not that interested, but also really upset about it because they're, they're both discouraged because is this a thing I really want to go through again? But at the same time, they're really ticked that maybe the other guy on the other side is, is going to win. And so the, there's this very kind of ugly sentiment that seems to be rising where no matter who wins, half the country is going to be ragingly upset about it. How do you think the election is going to go? And what do you make of it? I mean, it's not going to be pretty. It's going to get nasty. And it's going to get nastier by the month. Every month goes by, it's going to get uglier and uglier and uglier. Uh, unfortunately, on the right, no one has figured out a way on the right to connect emotionally with the voter then maybe one candidate. 
has been able to connect with the voter emotionally. Uh, I would put Vivek at the top emotionally. Put Trump aside for a second, right, as an alternative. You got Vivek at the top that knows how to sell the dream. He doesn't say no to anybody. He'll go to the enemy. He will not just go sit down with people that agree with him. He'll go to anybody. He'll go to Pacman. He'll go to Lemon. He'll go to CNN, MSNBC. If you're willing to have him, he'll come talk to you, and he'll stand toe-to-toe. We respect that. We value that because we don't have that with our current president. Our current president will only sit with people that agree with him. So did Obama. He only sat with people that agree with him. And uh, so you look at this and say, okay, I respect the fact that Vivek is doing this. Now, is America ready for a president to be Hindu? Uh, when we did our town hall, somebody asked him the question. He gave his answer. And Shamat uh, uh, shared that video yesterday for the audience to kind of think, hey, if he can give this kind of answer and he can win people over at this point, maybe he has a shot. Then he got Nikki Haley that connected emotionally with women at the debate. I thought it was a very good move, what she did. And it was the way she did it, she got the support of the people that are pro-abortion, that are pro-choice, that are pro-life, that are younger, older. I thought her messaging of connecting with that audience was exceptional on what she did. I'm not a Nikki Haley person. I don't wake up and say, cannot wait to go campaign for Nikki Haley, but I respect the person that gets up and gives a great argument. She did that. Uh, DeSantis needs to sell America better. He needs to be better at persuading and getting people to win them over. I feel like DeSantis, sometimes when you watch him talk, I get a feeling he's walking on eggshells and, and no one knows why he's walking on eggshells. Maybe it's because of himself. Maybe it's because his entire life he's had to be perfect because he's been following this trajectory of one day being a president. God forbid he makes that one mistake. And if he does, it's going to come back and they're going to share it with other people and all this other. He's afraid of it, right? And then you have Trump, who is the complete opposite of DeSantis. He could care less. Matter of fact, he's disappointed if you don't bring up that one girl he was with 40 years ago. (laughs) How how dare you forget about that one or this one? You should bring the other one up and— you know, the stories about him potentially leaking the pictures of his wife or how a very different kind of a guy. Like, imagine you doing that and say, hey, look at my picture of my wife and I, how beautiful. It's just insane, right? It's so unorthodox. But unfortunately, you're living in a time where the challenge that we have, Ben, is you and I don't get to pick and choose. Our, um, we get to vote for them. But you know, the perfect world of one, uh, you know, America needs another Ronald Reagan. Okay, great. You keep waiting for that guy. Or did you really read Reagan's story? Do you remember where Reagan was when his daughter was born? Have you read the books? You think Reagan walked on water? Was Reagan the guy that was like the, the second coming of Jesus? Is that what we put as the standard? You know what happens when people put a standard of Reagan being perfect? Here's what it does. It makes the next generation say, I'm not going to run because I'll never reach at his level. Versus saying we all have flaws, we all have mistakes. It actually inspires more people to want to get in the ring instead of wanting to just be such a perfect person to go want to run. No, I remember when I went to a church, I went through 27 churches until I found one that I can go to. Every church I went to, the standard was perfection. Walking on water. Ben, you're going to hell for all the sins you've committed. And if you don't, blah, blah, blah. I remember one time I sat down with a guy and I'm 22 years old. I'm dating a, a girl from Hollywood and she's beautiful and and he's part of this uh, church called the Los Angeles Church of Christ that eventually the guy came out and says, we're a cult. Because they said, the only way we can go to heaven is through our church. So I'm meeting this guy, Edward. And we're sitting there. He says, uh, so let me ask you a question. I said, yeah. He says, uh, when's the last time you and your girlfriend had sex? I said, right before this meeting. He says, you're serious? I said, yeah. I said, I'm not a Christian. I said, just right before we had, just we came here. You know, we're clean. We wash our hands. But right now we're here with you. And he says, uh, wow, you're not going to go to heaven. I said, really? Yeah. Wow. It's 
pretty bad. I'm not going to make it to heaven. He says, if you want, you have to stop having sex right now. I'm 22 years old. My entire life, I've lived a set of, set of standards that has nothing to do with a faith, right? So this guy wants to get me to suddenly, like this, go drop all my habits and all this other stuff. Now I'm like, you know what? I'm good. I step away. I leave. We know what happens two years later. Watch what happens two years later. Same girl I'm with. I want to get married. I want to have a wife and kids. And my entire dream since I was six years old was to be a father. I had a family that was messy, so it was never, we never had stability in the family. So at 24 years old, that same girl that he asked us the question, I go up to her one night and I said, hey, uh, I want us to go a month without having sex. She said, what do you mean? I said, uh, I want to know if we're together because we get along and we love each other or it's because of the sex. She says, you're joking. I said, I'm not. One month later, we broke up. She's happily married right now with a couple kids. I'm happily married right now with four kids. It was good to go. We moved on, right? What's the moral of the story? Then, through a certain set of events in my life, I chose to give my life to Christ. Then I became a Christian. Then I chose to change my life with alcohol, the stuff, the lifestyle, the clubbing, the Hollywood, all that stuff. And then, boom, I went a different route. Okay, my life changed. Today, God's grace, blessing, super happy. I don't walk on water. I make a lot of mistakes. I'm not the one that's going to go out there, you know, saying everything that's the right time all the time. I watch Ron and I say, this guy would make one hell of a president, but he gets in his own way. So when you look at the candidates and the people that we have, uh, unfortunately, there isn't anybody right now that's getting the kind of stuff where people want them to run instead of Trump. As much as you say anything you want to say about Trump, or a lot of people do, they were at what, 48, 44 is whatever the number was, 48, 42, and then now it's what, 64 to 18, you know, him and DeSantis were... The separation is getting wider and wider and wider, so you know it's going to end up being Trump. I think what America is saying to us right now, uh, uh, whether you agree with them or not, not you, the people that are watching, whether you agree with them or not, the ones that voted for Trump or the ones that didn't, but they can't stand what Biden is doing, they're like, look, man, how many times you got to get after this guy? Let's just say a person says, I voted for Hillary, right? But I know Hillary's got a lot of stuff up. You know, I mean, we know the documentary they made about Hillary and Bill Clinton called House of Cards. I don't know if you ever watched that documentary on Netflix. It's a show. If you've <laughs> never seen House of Cards, have you seen it? Yes, that I have seen. Incredible, yes. <laughs> right? Obviously, it's a show. It's a series. Mm-hmm. But it's a, in other words, it's a documentary, <laughs> right? Um, and you watch it and you say, where did they get these stories from? Is there an example of somebody that did this? You know, and it, it, did somebody live a life like this for you to want to write this? And then Kevin Spacey? plays the part, and then Kevin Spacey is playing the guy that's the closest guy to Bill Clinton, who's a charmer, and his wife later on. Kind of interesting when you watch that stuff, right? So some people are saying, look, that guy's not perfect, but you know what? I'm sick of the other side. It's no longer about Democrat against Republican. Right now, it's about anti-establishment against uh, uh, establishment, and I'm not supporting establishment right now. I'm going to vote the anti-establishment side. I think that side of the anti-establishment community is going to want to do something to wake up and vote against the establishment. That's what I think is going to be happening. Now, we, obviously, no one's going to know what's going to happen next 16 months. A lot of people don't want this guy to run, but we're going to see what happens next, next 16 months. Get to more on this in just one second. First, whether we love it or hate it, AI is in fact here to stay. AI is expected to create over 100 million new jobs globally. Some of those jobs include data scientists, product designers, robotics engineers, and surprisingly, tax managers with AI skills. ZipRecruiter is the best way to use AI to help you find people with those skills. ZipRecruiter's AI identifies candidates who are best suited for all kinds of roles. Right now, you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Ben Guest. 
Want the most qualified candidates? ZipRecruiter will use its powerful AI to find and send you people whose skills and experience match your job. Then ZipRecruiter lets you easily invite them to apply to encourage them to apply sooner. In fact, over 3.8 million businesses have come to ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. Get the leading edge on hiring with ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter will get a quality candidate within day one. See for yourself. Head on over to this exclusive web address. Try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ben Guest. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-E-N-G-U-E-S-D. Here at Daily Wire, we are constantly seeking to upgrade our employee base, and that means finding great people, new people, replacing old people. ZipRecruiter can help you do the same. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. Obviously not going to hold you to it because nobody can make a prediction yeah. this far out or, or as it turns out at all. But it, if, you were, if you were a betting man, where would you put your money, Trump or Biden at this point? I'm going to put it on the establishment using every single uh, play out of their playbook possible to prevent him from running. They've demonized him. They first went after him and the girls. You know, Karen McDougal, Stormy Daniels is like, yeah. It's my entire life. I'm going to be okay. You guys forgot 88 other girls, but it's fine. You're not a good research team. I would have done a better research than you would. He's probably saying this in his mind. Oh, we're going to go after his steak business went out. It went out of business. That steak business. Yeah, what a terrible businessman. And he's just a horrible businessman. He never got, you know, his billions he made, he got, he got lucky. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. We're going to go after, you know, the fact that he's on his third marriage. No problem. And we're going to go after his kids. He's actually got pretty good kids. Even Hillary Clinton said he's got. We're going to go after the fact that, you know, this guy had a book that was written by someone else that's been on the bestseller list for a couple of days. We're going to go after the fact that on TV his show flopped. No, no, that was Arnold who flopped after he tried to do The Apprentice and nobody was interested in Arnold saying you're fired. They wanted Trump to fire you. Nobody wanted Arnold to fire you. And then all of a sudden he puts everything in their face. Fake news, fake this, fake that. So... I think we've seen a glimpse of what they've done to him, demonizing him. I think they're about to take that to a whole different level. What happens there, who knows? Uh, but I think the demonizing phase is going to go to the next level. So they're going to do their part. Now, sometimes what I think happens, which is an interesting thing when it comes down to war or choosing your enemies wisely, it's a book that's coming out December 5th, is sometimes, you know, everybody has an enemy. You got an enemy. I got an enemy. He has an enemy. Trump has an enemy. Biden has an enemy. The average voter has an enemy. The small liquor cross, liquor store, you know, down the street here's got an enemy. Everybody's got an enemy, right? Sometimes you choose the wrong enemy, and uh, the enemy can steal a decade or two away from you. I think Republicans choose the, chose the wrong enemy, and they've screwed up last 20 years. I think Republicans totally missed the mark. That's such a big opportunity. They royally screwed up. I think Republicans lost. I think Christians lost. I think uh, uh, church-going people lost. I think libertarians lost. I think that community lost royally, and I'll explain to you how they lost. Uh, uh, you know, uh, for longest time, I would pray for four things. Courage, wisdom, tolerance, understanding, okay? And I'm having a hard time praying for tolerance right now. Because to me, everything's about being intolerant to the madness and what they're doing. Tolerance has been a good word. I can't pray for tolerance right now. Because if you pray for tolerance, God's going to put stuff in your life to be tolerant. And I'm like, no, no, I don't want to be tolerant to this. I have to be intolerant to this in my own respectful way. Okay, cool. So Christians have been way too tolerant. Church going, it's okay. It's okay. You want to be that way? The Bible was written like that two years ago. Not today. It's okay. It's okay, Christians, right? Then you got the scared, the pansy, the soft, the lazy Republicans. 
You know why? Soft and lazy. These are guys that made their money, that are living in Palm Beach, and they're afraid to get criticized. Let me just join the country club and be invited to all my liberal parties and kind of act like I'm also as well. Well, you know, such and such was Obama was a good president. Generally a good person. We're being invited to the party, baby. We'll keep voting the other way. Make sure nobody knows. Hey, kids, we keep it a secret as a family. We watch Fox, but you know what? Tell everybody we watch CNN. Okay, those guys are scared. And what do they make the investments into? Let's buy more hotels. Let's buy more real estate. Let's give our money to these other guys. Let them invest the money for us. Okay, you missed the mark on buying media companies. You missed the mark on buying uh, uh, New York Times, buying LA Times. You could have bought WAPO. You could have bought Time Magazine. You could have bought Fortune. You could have bought Forbes Magazine. You could have bought all of these guys, but you didn't, and they did. You could have bought Vice. You could have bought so many different things. They keep picking it up left and right. You're fighting. They have the resources. They're not buying those things up. Okay. Then the last one is the libertarians who say things like, listen to each to his own. You know, as long as you don't bother me, I don't bother you. Do whatever you want to do. I'm okay with it. And libertarians kept empowering the other side because they're like, well, since you're okay, can I also teach this to your kid? Whoa, 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 whoa. I never said yes to this, but it's too late because for the last 15 years, they said you're libertarian to each his own. Now I want to get hold of your kid. I never said this is okay. Okay. But now they're there. So what are you going to do about it now? Well, the fight is officially real. So going back to the enemy, sometimes you think you have a strategy that's going to destroy your enemy, but it's going to strengthen your enemy. And that's what they're doing to Trump. They're thinking what they're doing is hurting him, but it's getting more people to say, you know what? I don't like what you're doing to her. You and I can be at a, at, at a um, restaurant. Husband and wife are fighting, okay? And we'll try to mind their own business. I'm like, oh, okay, it's a bad fight they're having over there. And then it can be either sex to the other. And you'll hear the wife say something like this. The wife will say, you're the worst husband in the world. You're the worst father in the world. I should have married John. I don't know why I married you. My mom was right. Marrying you was a waste of time. When I saw you, I saw my dad. I should have never married and made the same mistake my mom made. We're like, man, those are pretty hard words. And he says, babe, but I love you, babe. I work two jobs. I'm doing my best. And I love you. I want to do everything I can to make. And she keeps going, belittling this man, right? So from a distance while they're fighting, when we can't hear it, maybe we're taking the wife's side. And all of a sudden, we go a little here. We're like, oh, my God. I feel bad for the man. You know what? I'm going to support him. That's what's happening with Trump. There are people that from the outside want to hate Trump. But they're watching what the other side is all of a sudden doing to them. And as they're getting closer and closer and closer, they're like, that's not cool what you're doing to the guy, man. I don't like that. Beat him fair and square. Don't use the weapon against him. You want to do something like that? Hate to say, I'm never in a million years that I think I'm going to support a guy like that. But now I am because I don't like the way you're treating him. So we are Americans. We like redemption. We like forgiveness. We want to see you fall, Ben. You have no idea how bad people want to see you fall. But when you fall, you know what people want to see Ben do? They want to see you rise up and redeem yourself. That's the story of America. It's you go from zero to hero. You're the man, but man, let's get him to fall, boom, to zero. But then the redemption is 10 times bigger than what it was to be the hero. So I don't know. I think we don't get to pick and choose our heroes sometimes. Uh, I don't think they're, uh, um, it, it, they fit a mold or pop box that we want to. This person needs to be this and this and this and this and this. It doesn't work that way. Churchill wasn't that way. Many of the characters in the Bible weren't that way. 
Paul's resume was in that way, Saul to Paul to do what he did. So uh, uh, I, I can't give you the exact answer on who I think it's going to be. I think the level of deceptiveness and dirt is going to go to levels we've never seen before. So the market favors deception, but history favors we the people. So, yeah, you know, as, as you were kind of talking about that and talking about the, the fact that the market does favor deception, you know, one of the big problems, obviously, is that post-election, at least, as I mentioned, half the country is not just going to be angry. They're going to believe that the election was rigged. If, if Trump loses, the entire right is going to believe that the election was rigged, largely because the media are the way that they are, because of the, because of the legal cases against Trump, and also because Trump has been saying for several years that the last election was rigged. So everything is primed on the right for that possibility, that if Trump loses, the right is going to explode because sure. they're going to believe that it was stolen. Yep. On the other side, the left is actually, well, well, they're lying about this. The left, very, very often the left will say, no, 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 we believe in elections, but they only believe in elections when it's convenient for them to believe in elections. When Stacey Abrams gets defeated in Georgia, she's still the legit governor of Georgia until she actually gets destroyed by, by Brian Kemp in the latest gubernatorial election. Hillary, of course, never really lost. Hillary was defeated by the Russians. or She's still or, the president. Right, she's still the president. Yeah. Exactly. And so if Biden were to lose, then the idea would be that somehow something deeply unjust has happened and you'd have explosion on the other side, which raises the question as to whether the country can actually survive under these conditions. I don't mean that, that there's going to be full-scale civil war with people going up against each other with guns, but it does mean that the, the sort of roiling turmoil where people don't want to live anywhere near each other, don't want to be with each other, don't want to be sharing a common standard of, Ameri- of Americanness, that feels like that's falling away, and that's being that, that feels like an exponential increase. I, I think that's largely happening at the elite level, and I think it's bleeding down to the population level, but yeah, I, where do you see that going? Is there any way for people to come back together? You ever read the book Barbarians to Bureaucrats written by Lawrence Miller? No. It's a book written 30 years ago. I called the author. I'm like, can I buy the book from you? It's such a great book. Uh, but he was not a good marketer, so a lot of people didn't read it. Here's what he talks about. He talks about uh, uh, how the evolution of different societies, organizations, companies, countries that they go through. Here's how it works. First, you have the prophet. The prophet's the founding father, Okay. The founding fa- who's the founding father of Daily Wire? Is it you and Jeremy? Yeah. Okay. So you guys are the founding fathers of Daily Wire. Okay. So founding fathers of America. Okay. You got Washington, Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, all these guys, right? Okay. Then the founding fathers, the next phase, attract barbarians. Sometimes you are the barbarian. Sometimes Jeremy's the barbarian. But somebody comes in us like, let's go take market share. Let's go build it. Let's go build this incredible society, America. Let's go win the war. Let's go win the fight. They're fighters. They're barbarians. They're, they're fiending for a fight, right? So prophets attract barbarians. Prophet casts a vision. Steve Jobs, we're different. Apple, let's go after IBM. Barbarians show up. Jobs is also a barbarian. After barbarians, you attract builders and explorers. Let's build technology. Let's build the headquarters. Let's build a team. Let's build departments. Let's build system flows. Let's do this. Let's do that. What about this? What about that? So you got profit, attracts barbarians, attracts builders, and let's go into that market. Let's expand internationally. Let's expand into this market, right? So profit, barbarian, explorer, builder, explorer. Then comes administrator. Let's start making some rules and guidelines, and let's have certain protocols that you can't do this. And before you do this, you have to do this, and you have to get that approved, and you got to get this, and you got to get that. So a 13-page tax code becomes 80,000 pages, right? A small little handbook in NHL after 1972 Philadelphia Flyers becomes 400 pages because these guys were just destroying everybody. So then after the administrator shows up the bureaucrats and aristocrats. These are the, you know, I'm above you, smarter. I know what's best for you, Ben. I went to the right school. I have the right last name. I'm going to make the decisions for you because I know what's good for you, Ben. Trust me. 
You're going to follow my lead because I'm a bureaucrat. I'm an aristocrat. I work out of a high building. You can't come too close to me. You have to talk through 14 layers before you get a hold of me. There's no way you can talk to me, message me any of that stuff. So that's that, right? So obviously America right now is at what phase? Bureaucrats and aristocrats. Exactly where we're at. Do you know what he talks about in the book on how to save that society from a downfall? So this is how it goes. Administrator, bureaucrats, aristocrats, it's right here. He says the only way to prevent this thing from falling, many empires have fallen. You go back 70 years out of the Fortune 500 companies, you know, seven years, only 50 of them are still in it. So it's like they go out of business. You know, the other 450 went out of business. A synergist has to show up. What's the job of a synergist? Here's a job of a synergist, okay? A synergist has to go back and say, remember what we built this great country on. Remember all the things we overcame. Remember we overcame how many assassination attempts on our presidents? Lincoln, Kennedy, Reagan. Remember what we've overcome as a nation. Remember when Bobby Kennedy gave the speech minutes after MLK got shot and how was it that he was giving the speech after a black man got shot? He's getting up there. The only person that could relate to a black man was a white man talking about how his brother was shot and killed by another white man. And that messaging was like, oh, my God, we kind of found each other. How was this guy able to get me to mourn through the challenges I'm facing with MLK? And are you kidding me? You, man, that's pretty wild. And then Reagan gets shot. You're in the hospital and says, hey, Doc, are you Republican or Democrat? And he says, today, Mr. President, we're all Republicans, right? These funny stories and history that we have on how we went from nothing. Why do we come over here? What were we fighting? Why did we start America? What happened to America? Is it getting worse? Is it getting better? Who's pitching the story that it's getting worse? Do we not have 90% of values and principles that we share in common? Who all of a sudden try to pin us against each other? Why are they doing it? What is the job of an enemy? You think the enemy wants America to stay united or divided? The enemy wants America to be the divided states of America, not the United States. But we have to be aware of this. And more of us have to synergize. Today, I don't know if it pays to be a synergist. I think it pays to be a divider today. If you're a divider, you get more eyeballs. If you're a divider, you get more shares. If you're a divider, you get more let me just buy my camp. Let me just win my camp over. Let me get them to get the next thing that's going to go. My God, look, did you hear what he said? Let me just convert them versus, no, can I push back my own camp? Hey, guys, can I give you my side? I think our side needs to consider X, Y, Z a little bit. No, 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 no. Like the other day, I'll never forget this conversation I had with a bunch of different conservatives. I said, look, um, how do you feel about Muslims and Christians? Whoa, 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 whoa. Where are you going with this? I said, okay. Um, we can have the religion debate, no problem. I said, you notice that you can't talk smack about Muslim religion? What happens if you do? They'll push back, they're rowdy, they're this, they're that. Okay. You ever study why Muslims vote Democratic? Why do they vote Democrat? A true Muslim's values and principles, nothing matches on, on the liberal side. So why do they vote that way? Because what? Oh, because the Republican Party is pro-Israel. Got it. Fair. So, okay, Muslim community and Christians, let's have a conversation. Muslims, question. From a Christian man who lived in a country, Iran, that's a Muslim country for 10 years, who a lot of my friends were Muslim, Islam, I'm totally fine. We had good relationships together. Let's set aside that Republicans are pro-Israel. Let's set that part aside for a second. No problem. Tell me about how you feel about your kids uh, being indoctrinated with LGBTQ. Oh, zero. 
Zero? Okay, we're on the same page. Okay, what else you got? Family. Do you guys uh, believe in getting four, five, six divorces? Oh, no. So you believe in family principles? Yes. Okay, boom. Okay. Do you believe uh, kids respect their parents and all? Oh, absolutely. Okay, cool. By, by the way, we're three, four, three so far. Okay, what, what else? Do you believe that the kids are the parents' kids, not the state's kids? Do you believe that? Do you believe this? Do you believe that? Yes. You realize we got about 15 things that we agree on, okay? We don't agree with your religion. We believe in Jesus. You believe in Abraham. We believe in L. Ron Hubbard. That guy believes in Joseph Smith. This guy believes in that guy. You believe in Mohammed. No problem. Let's set that debate aside for a friendly debate to get 20 million views on YouTube. It's cool. We can have that debate. By the way, just so you know, all of us are working on faith. None of us are working on 100%. Not Christians, not Jews, not Muslims, not LDS, nobody. Everyone's dealing on faith. We're all dealing off of faith, right? Okay. Well, yeah, but we believe more than you guys believe. Fine, but we all have to have faith. Yes, yes. Do you know exactly what happens if you die? I have faith. I understand I have faith too. And I think this is what's going to happen. My gamble is this gamble. Your gamble is a different gamble. Your gamble is a different gamble. But we have 15 different things that we agree on. Why don't we come together and instead of being Democrat or Republican, why don't we be anti-establishment, pro-family? Why don't we sit down and have that conversation together? Well, you know, I, I, you know, I just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I get it. All I'm saying is let's come together and talk and synergize. We can compartmentalize and isolate different issues, meaning you're a White Sox guy. I'm a Yankees guy, okay? Ozzie Guillen, Mickey Mantle. Yesterday, my kids, we watched the movie 61. I don't know if yeah, you've seen the movie. movie. Sick yep, movie. movie. And by the way, they look just like Mickey and they look just like Mary's, right? m and Corporation, all this stuff. And then I'm, you know, talking about how spiritual baseball is. In 1961, they break the record with 61 home runs. And the next time the 61 record is broken is exactly 61 year, years later in 2022 by, you know, uh, a judge hit 62. Are you kidding me? They're, God loves baseball, right? And we're having this conversation. But, but brother, we got so many things we agree on. Let's sit down and we break bread. So I don't think that synergizing message is being given. So to go back to your point of, Pat, what do you think is going to happen with America? It's going to be a mess. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. I totally agree. But to do that, I think the enemy has to change. I don't think Republicans, I don't think Democrats, I don't think the voters have chosen the right enemy. I don't think the right enemy is the Republican. I don't think the right enemy is the Democrat. I don't think. Used to think. I don't think today. I think today the enemy is the person that thinks what's best for you all the time. That's my, my job, right? I'm an adult. For our kids, we both have four kids. It's our job on what's best for our kids. Not, not anybody else's job, but ours, right? We get to raise them the way we want to raise them. Great. If we identify the enemy the right way and we realize it's the establishment, the people of power who want to control us and tell us what to do and we realize that's the enemy, not left or right, I think things will change. Uh, but if we continue going the way we're going right now and controlled by the top to keep pinning us against each other, we're going to be a show for a long time to come. So, you know, when you talk about enemies, not just domestically, but internationally, obviously a lot of controversy over Russia, China, Ukraine, all the rest of it. Look at the international sphere for a second and, and tell me, who, who do you think is the, should America be choosing as sort of its enemy? Or America doesn't choose its own enemy sometimes. Who is the enemy that's, uh, that's targeting the United States on a, on a foreign level? Well, the, the way I would look at it is, uh, uh, first, what values and principles do we 
value the most, America. Freedom of speech, freedom of uh, uh, religion, freedom of uh, uh, assembly, freedom of free enterprise, okay? Those are values and principles. Who supports that? Whoever supports that, let's figure out how we promote that, okay? Who does not? Whoever does not, try to figure out a way to sell it to them to say, let me tell you why this works for us. You ought to consider it. Kind of like a guy named Ronald did it with another guy named Gorbachev. And eventually they went from a communistic USSR to 1994, you know, wall comes down, open, you know, a little bit more of competition, capitalism. You may want to consider doing this. This could work in your country and look at Russia. It's a completely different market today than it was, you know, 31, 32, 33 years ago. Okay. So to me, it's values and principles first. Next, when it comes down to enemies, we have to be also careful that your enemies don't unite against you. That's what we've done the last two, three years. Okay, pick our, pick our top. If you would have put a leader's bulletin on top five countries that hate America the most that are a powerhouse, okay, you would put China on that list. You'd probably put Iran on that list. And you would probably put Russia on that list, okay? Who else would you add on that list? Top five. North Korea. North Korea. Um. It, it depends on the iteration, but but some of, some of the because Latin America changes its leadership so often, it's hard to actually include them in a permanent list there. But you know, they're Venezuela. Okay, is it fair? Let's put those as five. Okay, are we on the same page with those five? Sure. Okay, great. So, if that's the case, I remember years ago. I'll never forget to spend. So, I start an insurance company. I leave a company I was a part of. That other insurance company they start losing people, and they're all coming to me. And one day, in a, in a certain week, I have four or five meetings of different agencies from that company that are all sitting down with me. And I said, so, you know, what, what uh, prompted you to want to come and meet with me? He says, well, I just, you know, wanted to come. We're thinking about leaving that company. But there was a weird thing that happened that I kind of want to bring up to your attention and ask why that is. I said, go for it. What is it? They told us they won't sue us if we go to any company but they said, if we leave and we come to you, they're going to sue us. Why is that? I said, got it. Next day, same story. Those two are not from the same state. Next day, same story. Next day, four different companies in a week, two, three weeks span, all said the same thing. If we come to you, they'll sue us. If we go anywhere else, they'll what? They won't sue us. As a strategist, I'm sitting there saying, why? Why would you sue them if they came to me? Well, Guess what? It's a brilliant move. Why? Because you want your enemies divided. You don't want your enemies united. Because if your enemies unite against you, then they're a powerhouse. They're not going to want that to go against you. Okay? They're going to want it to be a bit divided, right? The more divided. Like even on the conservative side, there's a lot of fights right now on the conservative side. A lot, right? Guess who wins like that? A lot of people win when it's that way. But there's capitalism. Totally fine. Watch this here. We don't mind if China hates us, if they individually hate, hate us. We don't mind if Russia hates us, if they individually hate us. We don't mind if Iran hates us, if they individually hate us. But if you put Iran, China, Russia, you know, and, and you know, North Korea collectively to hate us, for them to unite against us, NATO, everybody else, yeah, that's problematic. That's not a good thing we're doing. So I think some, so one of the things that we're doing right now is we're getting the people that hate us the most to be united. That's all based on policy. When, when NATO says, well, we got to accelerate the membership process for Ukraine to get them in, that thing was like June 23rd or something like that. We got to accelerate the process 
of getting Ukraine to be part of NATO, because if we can do that, then we can impose Article 5 and NATO has to blah, blah, blah against Russia. So, so what's translation to that is what? NATO is saying we want war. If you want to accelerate that, what are you telling me? If let's just say Putin's sitting there saying, I'm sorry, what do you want to do? Do you forget the history of West Ukraine? Do you only know the history of East Ukraine? Do you forget about what happened over here years ago? Do you forget how NATO originally was started in 49 or whatever the year was, and you've gradually come this way? Is that what you forget? And you started off all on this side, and now you're gradually getting NATO members from whatever, 12, 13, 14 it was, to getting closer and closer and closer and closer and closer to me, around me. Why? Why are you doing that? What's the reason behind that? You're pushing me to want to do something. So I have to create alliances. Who's my alliances? China, North Korea, Iran. If you do something, I need support. I got support. So I, I don't know. I think, uh, I think there's allies that we share common values. I think enemies that we don't have the necessarily uh, uh, similar values, but we have to figure out a way to stay uh, uh, in relationship mode with them. And if somebody loses their minds and we have a modern-day Hitler that's going to go do it, of course, everybody, it's, it's us against you if you want to do something like that. If you, you're trying to do something like that, it's the world against that one individual. Um, so we have to be always aware and paranoid of that. But right now, we're unifying our enemies. I think that's problematic. Folks, our conversation will continue with Patrick Bet David. Specifically, I want to ask him how he became a part owner of the New York Yankees. What's that like? You'll have to be a Daily Wire Plus member to hear his answer. If you'd like to hear the full conversations with all of our fabulous guests, click the link at the top of the episode description and join us at dailywireplus.com. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 